0: Welcome back to No BS. I'm Danielle.
1: I'm Christina,
0: and we are so excited to be back with you. Happy New Year! I, we hope that you've listened to our first episode of this year. Uh, we had a special guest on our show, so if you haven't listened to that, then uh, feel free to to check in and give that a listen. Uh, but today we have some exciting stuff for you too.
1: Yeah, today we actually have another guest, and um, we're going to let her talk a little bit more um, about herself. Um, but I'm really like. I love bringing people on and talking to them. Like, I'm so excited. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm excited, especially about this guest, because this was someone who we were able to get in touch with because of the podcast, not because yeah. of uh, the professional networks that we have. But she reached out and we got connected. And this has just been like a really cool experience, like getting to know her. Yeah, I really feel like there's a lot of value in what she has to share with us. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess without further ado. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to our show, Heather. Well, thank you for having me. How are you guys this morning? We're
2: good. We're good. So tell us a little bit about who you are. So my name is Heather and I am California native, born and raised, half of my life in Southern California, half of my life in Northern California. A lot of my early years were actually spent navigating the LA County foster care system. So 17 years of... That. And then, you know, that's really led me into the second half of my life, which is being a mental health advocate, speaking on stages about the foster care system and mental health, and really being an advocate for others. That's amazing. I'm excited to hear
0: about the experiences that you've had. I mean, it sounds like it hasn't been a a smooth road for you, um, but you seem to really have have made it work
2: and come out on the other side. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of that personal work, you know, that we kind of find a little bit later on in life and our, for me, Uh it was specifically in my, my twenties, but you know, from early years, you know, my, my very first kind of like odd experience, right. That I would have to do the work on was, six months old, being abandoned at the Glendale Galleria in California. The old one, it was actually torn down. Me and a girlfriend (laughs) sat on the back of her Volkswagen bug and watched it. Wow. It was amazing. I love that. That is awesome. It was was the best feeling in the world. But, you know, I could probably even go back to before then where, you know, there's a lot of times where I think we hold back our truth because we're so shameful about it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that my mom was my biological mom, was someone who prostituted her way from New York to California, which means that my dad was a trucker who accepted sex for a ride in the 80s. And, you know, I think that comes with its own kind of sense of shame when you feel like that's your DNA, that's where you come from. And you know, hit the ground running, abandon at mall, enter the foster care system. And it just was really 17 years of being moved around and dealing with abuse and dealing with abandonment. And I will tell you, that abandonment stuff, it does not and when you turn 18. Mm-mm. You keep thinking in your head, right? Like, I'm gonna turn 18, I'm gonna get out of here, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my freedom. Oh, and then you turn 18 and you're like, oh no, I'm doing all these things, right? You don't know at the time, but you end up doing all of these things as far as like self-soothing. I found myself doing it, at least bad relationships, bad choices, all four needing to feel wanted, needing to find that work mm-hmm. when I didn't have it for 17
1: years.
0: Oh my gosh. I have chills already. I know. <laughs> I'm
2: like, I'm like,
1: I could kind of relate. Not not fully, but I know that feeling of not knowing your worth. And I don't have the abandonment piece, but um, I do know that feeling and trying to find yourself that when you mentioned the um, that personal growth period when finding who you are, like that is so significant, so important in, in our journeys as human beings.
0: Yeah. I also, I think that you brought up a really interesting point about your DNA. You had said like, you know, mm-hmm. when it's in your DNA that You know, your dad was a trucker and your mom was, you know, prostituting herself for means across Mm -hmm. the country. I mean, I I can imagine when I think about it now, since you brought it up, I can imagine that that's a really difficult concept to cope with. But and to accept. But like, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have even
2: thought that about listening to your story. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was. I think that when well, I know that when. I was growing up, I always felt like there has to be some good back there. Yeah. Like I can't be this. Like I there has to be more. I have to like I was always thinking about that genetic part of it. It's really how my brain is wired. I love science. Mm-hmm. And I was always thinking about that part that I was fighting the genetics. So, you know what, in high school, when my friends were, I mean, this is a no BS podcast in high school. When my friends were, you know, token it up and smoking out back on the lawn before, you know, science class, I was straight edge because I was so concerned about really what propensities I had yeah. always like hyper aware, yeah. um, uh, because I knew, from the education that I had received, you know, going through all this process, finding the biological mom, all those things. Um, I knew that there was a propensity for addiction, mm-hmm. for alcoholism. And so I was always very, uh, straight edge. I was a straight edge, you know, friend who was getting, you know, 4.2 GPA because I just, you know, I just, I had to get out. That was the whole point was to get out. And unfortunately, what I didn't realize was that none of these issues had been addressed in that first like 17, 18 years. And I repeated them until I was 34, until I had that come to, you know, come to the higher power moment where I was like, nope, I'm quitting everything. Mm -hmm. I quit the job. I quit the man. I quit, I quit it all. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting how those themes continue to play out. Did you find that like,
0: even as, as you like developed and and found your way through life that you would try to uh, maybe stop certain behaviors, but really Mm -hmm. would come out exactly the same,
2: looking different. Does that make sense? I think that I always thought I was on a higher path than I was. And I like even cringe in my, in my belly saying that because I wanted to believe that I was better than Mm -hmm. them. I wanted to believe that I had escaped them, escaped this. But when I looked back, you know, I was a chameleon in relationships. I was adapting to what each person wanted. So I wasn't in myself. I wasn't in my body. I wasn't making choices for my body. I was making impulsive decisions that I would grapple with years later. And no wonder it never worked because I never showed up. To the relationship as a whole person. I did it in jobs as well. I accepted less pay. I accepted poor behavior from bosses, from supervisors, just because if I was good and I said yes, then people would like me and I I would be better than
0: that. Yeah,
1: them.
2: lots of that people pleasing. Yeah, you know, and trying it's, to get ahead.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Go Oh, sorry. Um, it was really interesting you bringing up trying to not be them and it must have been incredibly challenging because and it's like a double-edged sword you lived most of your life trying to not be like someone and find your own identity but in at this on the same breath like you didn't have your own identity because your identity became to not be like them
2: yeah it became just being the antithesis of somebody so They were alcoholic. So I wouldn't drink and they were aggressive. So I would be kind and they were, uh, impulsive and rash. So I would be logical. It was, it was a very analytical way to live. And quite frankly, it cut me off from a lot of my emotions where I didn't tap into the heart. It was always, you know, the head, the overthinking, the logical choice. What's the best choice for everyone? And I will tell you, when you're trying to make the best choice for everyone from zero to 34, man, it blows up in your face Mm -hmm. because you start to realize you picked the wrong person, you got in the wrong stuff, you got in the wrong career. You've been a doormat your whole life. You're saying a yes to people who are saying no to you. I, it's it's one of those moments that it's really powerful, scary, but really powerful when you have that moment and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm done.
1: <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. With this. I think it's so relatable to a lot of people who might not be able to completely relate to your specific story, but that feeling of living their lives for something else and not for themselves. And I think that that is so, I mean, I come across, I mean, I can relate personally, but I come across that all the time in, in my work as well with, Mm -hmm. with my clients. Um, And there's something, like you said, there, there's such a power when you realize that, when that switch goes off and then you realize, wow, I really can make, more for myself and be who I am and live in my own truth. And that's very powerful.
0: Yeah. I think that this is also a really good opportunity for people who are listening to feel empowered that for one, they're not the only people who have gone through life circumstances like yours, Mm -hmm. but that you can turn it around. Like you don't have to be doing everything to be opposite of, you know, whomever, but you can still find who you are and find uh, your individual identity at any time, yeah. And, like, and and make something of yourself. Make a life for yourself. Be happy. Yep. Feel fulfilled. Feel like you're not a shell of a human being who's living mm-hmm. for someone else.
2: Yeah. And I honor for everyone who's listening and everyone who has thought about that step and then taken the step back. That it's a scary step. I remember the moment that I had to step away from you know, my, what I thought was how I should mother. I remember the moment I had to step away from what I thought was the security of a bad marriage. When I stepped away from the security of a toxic family who, you know, it's like, There's that saying that you shouldn't sit at tables, that you're the subject of conversation when you get up. I was, I was the conversation when I was sitting there. That's how bad it was. And interestingly enough, in our minds, there's this, you know, concept of like, yeah, but if I leave, then I have no one and having bad someone's was more comforting at the time for me than having neutral or good no one it really is having to rebuild you have to walk that fire you have to walk the fear and it's scary and anyone who's listening right now it's scary I get it and I honor it
0: you really hit the nail on the head there with um
1: with like everything <laughs> yeah
0: with everything <laughs> but... that with like everything yeah you know I think that I think that the the key thing that you said was, you know, it was better for you to have unhealthy people in your life than to have no one at all. I think that that's a really common mistake that nearly everybody makes because we think like, yeah, but we've been friends since kindergarten. So, you know, even Mm -hmm. if we're not close, like we've been friends for 20 years, 30 years. So we should keep, we should keep going. That
1: comes up so much. Yeah.
0: Or like the, but it's my mom. Like, I can't just not have a relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your mom's toxic. Right. <laughs> like I, I yeah. It sounds brutal, but it's true. I mean, you know, I have had to walk away from family relationships in my life because the person that I am when I'm in the presence of these people is everything that I've worked so hard not to be. Like I can't allow all of the hard work that I've done to go out the window just to keep a toxic person in my life. Like, and I know that on paper that sounds reasonable like of course that makes complete sense but emotionally your heart's telling you to do everything opposite of that you know and it's all that fear of abandonment fear of of not being loved or liked or a part of something bigger
1: you know and I think too there's something to be said about normalizing and validating setting boundaries with people like it's okay in fact setting boundaries is self-care
2: yeah and I I also think it's important to normalize the conversation that it's not just mom and dad that can abuse you, but there's generational abuse. And I grew up in a system where it was generational abuse. So my guardians that I, were, I was raised with, primarily the mother, which would have been my adoptive mom. I know it gets a little convoluted. But she was my primary abuser, and it became so normalized to abuse me, so normalized to speak to me in degrading ways that then my siblings picked up that behavior. And I will tell you, by the time I finally walked, my siblings' children, my nephews, were doing it. It had become so generationally acceptable to, you know, call Aunt Heather the B word or send her a death threat. Cause you don't like what she did or call her every name in the book. Cause like, that's just how they process, you know, they just get angry like that. No, that's against my boundary. That's you are crossing my code of honor when you do that to me. And I no longer accept that. And I do wonder how many people consider or think about generational abuse because it's very real and like you said we get stuck into this i know but it's family and you have to forgive them you can forgive them and also not have contact with them. absolutely
0: you're absolutely right i i actually experienced as a a witness i should say I i have witnessed that sort of generational abuse within my own family and um I think most recently I had a conversation with my dad explaining, you know, how frustrated I was watching this unfold. And I said, you know, it, it's just what's most upsetting about the whole thing is that it's not like you can say to them, hey, what you're doing is not OK. And here's why, because they don't see it like this is their character. Like, how sick is that that this is their character? This is who they are. I mean, it's just it makes me cringe. I can't. I don't think any human being should ever, well, ever deserves to be mistreated.
2: Yeah. I I remember a very pointed conversation I had with my guardianship mother about that same thing. You know, she, she wanted, you know, to know why I was holding back or why I couldn't forgive her or let bygones be go- bygones, right? That kind of conversation where they don't understand the impact that they've had. And I remember just having that honest conversation Because, you know, you have to shift in the healing, right? As a little girl, as an 18-year-old, as a 20-year-old, as a 25-year-old, I thought I would get this Lifetime movie moment where they'd come to realize it and they'd apologize to me. Nah, dude, it's not going to happen, man. Um, (laughs) And I had to shift and really accept that, one, they didn't make themselves that way, Right. She didn't come to be an alcoholic abuser of an innocent child because she was raised with dignity.
1: Wow. Yeah. And
2: so I had an honest conversation with her and I said, you know, I'm doing nothing that you haven't done. You left home. You didn't have contact with your mother because your mother abused you. And imagine... If someone had told you no you have to forgive her because she's your mother her own mother was a drug addict sisters were drug addicts one of her sisters being my biological mom and you know when i could put it to her that way that i was doing nothing more than she had done to protect herself i think that she was able to take the personal aspect out of it right i was no longer Fighting her or, you know, demeaning her or her behavior. In fact, I was relating with her. Mm. You did what was right for you, and I have to do what's right for me. And that's okay for both of us. And I will tell you, never in my teens, never in my 20s, did I think that forgiveness was going to be the iron gate to healing. I, I did not recognize how much forgiveness played a part. I mean, boundaries are the foundation, hmm. but I would keep falling back in the rut. Cause I would think like, oh yeah, well, I'm done with that. I've moved on. I've moved past it. I think I said, I've moved past it into my early thirties. I know it's so long ago. I've moved past it. Yeah. It's in my past. But there was something uniquely important for me to look at her as a human being who didn't build herself that way and go, oh man, someone messed you the hell up Mm. for you to starve a child, for you to beat a child. Who messed you up?
1: You addressed that with such compassion. I know. Her, you know. I know. And I was just gonna point that out. Like that is a huge step. And I, and I know a lot of people that this is resonating with. That your your story that they that they they don't understand how one can ever get there, and that's okay. But that is a huge step. And everyone's journey is very, very different. And to get to that point, and that also brings up something I talk about a lot, is you cannot place expectations on other people. And that's
0: a hard hard thing to put into practice. And
1: it's really, really hard for people. It's been hard for me. I mean, we're all human in this. But you... you choose to believe a certain way. And just because you choose that doesn't mean that other person has to. And that's where a lot of people get stuck in that they're not getting what they want. They're not hearing what they need to hear. And they're having a hard time with that acceptance piece that this is how it needs to be, or this is what it is, or to see things from your point of view.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, um, you, have just outlined like the most perfect radical acceptance yeah, case. <laughs> exactly. Of, I was like to say this, that.
1: It is what it is. Yeah, yeah.
0: Of like, it is what it is. And like, you're a hurting person too. And like, I'm going to make sure that you know that like we can connect there. Mm-hmm. But like, as much as, as much as you're messed up, I sympathize, I empathize, but I have to protect myself. Right. And that's the ticket that I think a lot of people miss is that. It, you can distance yourself with love. Like you can still love and care for people. You can forgive them and you can choose not to be around them because it's just not healthy.
2: Yeah. And it wasn't until I forgave that I found peace. Cause I will tell you, I raged against the machine with anger and bitterness and resent because I became a mama at like 18 and a hiccup. I mean, I repeated that pattern, you know, foster care kid, Ugh. you know, all the stats that are stacked against you And I remember thinking, I could never do this. I could never be this person to him. Like, I'm a squishy little squisher, right? Like, this baby, I couldn't do this. Like, he's just so rad and amazing. And I think that there was a point in my 30s where, you know, I was the overanalyzer, the overthinker. And I had to stop one day and be like, stop expecting, you know, The lion not to eat the lamb because the lamb doesn't eat the lion. Like, stop expecting yourself from other people. Other Mm -hmm. people aren't you. But man, was I bitter and angry and resentful and pissed off and building walls like a champion mason because I I could not get past that other people didn't think like me. I couldn't get past that expectation Mm -hmm. part. I was expecting myself from other people I did it in friendships I did it in relationships right well I would never do that to you how could you do that to me because they're not me right right yeah so it's it's a radically different movement in your own personal being when you can go I see you for the soul that you are the damage that you've had the journey that you're on And like you said, I empathize with you. I, I honor (laughs) the mess that you're in, but I don't have to be part of it Mm -hmm. because now I have boundaries instead of grudges. Um, And it's, it's really a different way of living where I have no contact with these people. And I have so much peace. Funny enough you know, the Facebook memories, right? They come up. Oh gosh. And, uh, the Christmas Facebook memory from 2016, which was the last holiday that we all had came up. And I was like, that was so dysfunctional, but I willingly went and I put my kids in the car and I knew there was going to be arguments and I knew there was going to be fights, but I still didn't choose to honor my own boundaries and my own desires and my own peace, because I didn't want someone to say that I was like mean or, you know, I couldn't, uh, the, the biggest thing that always came to me is like, well, you, you're just, you just can't handle the conflict. You're just weak. You just can't handle these conversations. And I think I've realized that I don't actually have to, I don't have to partake in any conversation that I don't want to partake in. And it doesn't make me or anyone else weak. If you do not want to have people yell at you, belittle you, demean you, the the ability to walk away and create a healthy boundary, not a grudge, you know, not a wall, it makes you so strong. Mm-hmm. There's pa- It's empowering. You're not. Uh, <sighs> you know, I was. I played the
0: role in my family where I was like the protector. I was the one who was with the person experiencing the abuse, not allowing them to go into a room alone because I didn't trust what would happen if I wasn't there, because I needed to stand up for them because I didn't trust that they would stand up for themselves. Or how many times like, you know, I've gotten into um, arguments with family members over their behaviors, which, you know, they may or may not be listening to this right now. And I'll tell (laughs) you that they have no clue what I'm talking about because it's who they are. And that's okay. (laughs) But, you know. It was just as painful for me as the witness. If not more painful in some cases to watch someone that I care so much about be so mistreated and still willingly step back in those situations. And it was always that excuse of, but it's my family, but it's Mm -hmm. my family. But like, this is the respectful thing to do. Let me tell you something. I was raised with respect as a major value in my Mm -hmm. family and Out of respect for my family, I choose not to be there because I can't stand myself. So I don't expect anybody to be able to stand my presence when I'm feeling the way that I feel around them.
2: Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is tied into, you know, how I would say a majority of us are raised. We're actually not raised with boundaries Mm -hmm. for our elders, right? We're not raised to be able to tell our adults right? Typically our parents or other elders, other, um, senior members of our family know were to be good, sit down. I will tell you a phrase that I grew up with, which was the most damaging phrase that I had to work so hard to recover from was that children should be seen and not heard. Yep. <laughs> Ooh. And so you walk through life knowing that your voice doesn't matter because it's been programmed into you from the moment that you know cognition of hearing was sending synapses to your brain. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it is just we're taught to be good, do what you're told, um, be under the thumb. You know, you don't fight back against your parents, and it's wrong.
1: And those things. Mm-hmm.
2: And then you're a bad person
0: because you set boundaries,
1: right? Yep. You're invalidated because you're standing up for yourself. In fact, you're being told you're doing, you're being disrespectful when in fact, you're actually trying to advocate for yourself, but you're Mm -hmm. being told the opposite. Mm -hmm. And it's not even necessarily from that, like you said, a generational thing from that one generation that's telling you it has been going down the chain, and it, that's, so everyone's kind of like what you said about accepting someone for who they are and like, who hurt you is that it's been going down the chain for quite some time. So it's not even the direct messenger, right? It's the, it's actually what's been programmed for years and years and years prior to.
2: Yeah. And it's this interesting balance of like power and control that, you know, Okay, as the adult or as the parent, I have the power, I have the control, I make the choices and decisions. And then, you know, whether I think you struggle with a, a poor past or a poor relationship with your parents, I've seen it in my friends, even who had great relationships with their parents that then at 18, you go out of the world, But you're having to make all these choices and decisions for yourself the very first time. You're having to find your feet. You're having to find these moments where everything's been done for you, and then you're having to do it for yourself. I
0: almost wonder, going back to the um, generations of this behavior being passed down and you saying about how children are to be seen and not heard, I almost wonder... I almost wonder if as these children grow older in that dysfunctional environment, if they almost get to the point where they become parents and they're like, now I have the power. Now I'm going to abuse that power because other people abused it. And now I finally am not the weak one. Right. And then it perpetuates the cycle. I mean, because when when. Like some,
1: initiation,
0: yeah. I, mean, I like, went
1: through it, so now you have to go through it.
0: Exactly, and and Heather is somebody who's gone through this and has broken the cycle. I can see how how you're able to recognize like this isn't okay. Like I don't want to be like this, and the behavior is wrong. And so I'm going to go against the grain, risking rejection from the people who raised me. But I'm going to go against the grain because I don't want to be that way.
2: And I see, yeah, that elsewhere. Well, and what's interesting is that you know I had other siblings, and obviously, you know, some of my siblings displayed the same actions as you know our our collective parents did. And the phrase that I always heard from them was, "And we see this online. I mean, we see this everywhere. It's like, I was fine; they'll be fine." Mm. Mm -hmm. This concept of like, I survived, they'll survive, right? It's almost like this mediocrity and this bare minimum because they survived it, which I mean, what is surviving? (laughs) Right. What is surviving? Because you're not dead or bouncing off of padded walls, you have survived. Well, you could be thriving. Right. You could actually be thriving. Did you, or Um, are you asking it? Right. It, it's, you know, it, and it, it does, it almost feels like a declaration every time someone says it, like I survived, like, okay, you're convincing yourself. You survived. Good for you. <laughs> right? Like if that's what you need to speak better at night, <laughs> because I did the same thing. I did the same thing, you know, thinking, you know, I'm still here or having those. I think there's so many sayings that are such a disservice when you are in abuse or a detriment where, you know, these sayings like, well, I'm stronger because of it or, or it made me who I am. It almost plays into that it was acceptable mm-hmm. for it to happen this is exactly- because. This is exactly the
0: the train of thought that mm-hmm. I was going with is like, there's two different types of acceptance that can happen here. There's accepting that this is what happened and it's okay. And then there's accepting that this is what happened and it's not okay, but this is, this is the situation and I have to move on. It's like, there's that playing into it acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, you know, separating and finding your own way acceptance, you know, and it, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, I feel like acceptance can also oftentimes become a a muddy concept for people because, you know, you want to practice this concept. You want to, you want acceptance. You want to be accepted. You want to accept the situation you want to heal, but what kind of acceptance are you really engaging in? And how, what, how is that affecting your healing? Like, how are you really able to get out of it? If you're just, normalizing the dysfunction. And that feels
2: very linear. I think when people say like, oh, it made me who I was, or I'm stronger because of it, that feels very linear to me. It feels like, well, I don't have to look outside the box and I don't have to look for anything bigger than this experience because this is what made me. I personally, Not everyone is going to agree with this, but I personally reject that notion. I believe that I could have been a compassionate, empathetic, humanitarian who cared about people without being starved, without being beaten, without my bones being broken, without navigating the foster care system. Would I have been the same exact person? No, but who says I wouldn't be light years ahead of where I am now? that abuse does hold us back the healing does hold us back and I feel like it's um it's such a resignation to what is to say well it's okay because it made me who I am but like baby who could you have been Mm. and that's not to it's not to stir up any bad feelings it's to normalize that you're allowed to think in greatness. You're allowed to think that the reality is that you didn't have to be abused. You didn't have to be neglected. And you know what? You still could have been a damn good individual.
1: That was very powerful um, in what you said. And what have you done for yourself to, to spread this message? What, what, what have you done with this with this uh, revelation that you've had in life and, and, and these, these views that you have and your own story? What have you done with um, that? Well,
2: for myself, I really did go inward for 18 months. I had to break it all apart. I had to confront that my foundation was mud and sticks and, you know, popsicle sticks. And it was all these things that I tried to build pretty that were garbage and i had Mm -hmm. to acknowledge the garbage i had to acknowledge i was in the dumpster fire um biggest thing that i did Mm -hmm. for myself is i found like-minded people not who wanted to fix me Mm -hmm. but who crawled in that dumpster fire with me and went yeah we're gonna sit here and toast some marshmallows while you figure this out girl what do you need from us
1: that's the
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. So did you, did you go through the therapy journey? Did you kind of go through the experience on your
2: own? Like what was, what was your process? Being in the foster care system, you're actually court ordered, uh, through therapy. So from, you know, the moment that I could talk, I was in traditional talk therapy until I was 18. Now I found that that style didn't necessarily work for me, which would then play into kind of what I would uh, become professionally later on. But I had to go through the process of you know from basically 18 to 34, I didn't do any personal development work, I didn't do any therapy. I was really in a bad way, and when I finally when everything came crumbling down, I tried to go back to traditional therapy. It again did not work for me. Um, I found mentors, I found life coaches, I found traditional therapists who didn't work traditionally. So instead of the sitting in the chair across from me saying, let's talk about your mother. (laughs) It was very much of who do you want to be and what do you think is holding you back? Let's talk about those abandonment issues. Let's talk about how that caused you to be a chameleon in your relationships. Let's talk about how that caused you to pick people who were garbage to you and you accepted them. Let's write it out. Let's talk about it. Let's think about it. Yeah, we got to get up. Not yep. we're going to keep it all back mm-hmm. there. But I mean, my, my therapist that I had at 34 who finally brought this all out. It was like hefty bag out of hefty bag. She's so like, okay, good. This one's now on the floor. Let's look at the pile of ish. And I was like, oh, that's off. Awesome. But you have to, for me, it was such a moment of having to really put up those boundaries for myself first, not be in a relationship, not be in the toxic family. I really went inward for 18 months in my own little cocoon with the handful of friends who were sitting in that dumpster with me. And I had to confront and confront and confront and confront. And I had to cry and I had to get angry and I had to go through all the emotions of grief because I lost it. I lost the damn childhood. I lost the fairy tale story of getting, you know, married at 18, 19 and having these, you know, 70th year wedding anniversaries. I, It was okay to have someone say, no, your feelings are valid. It's okay to grieve that. Nobody had the right to do that just because they were, you know, elders of yours or your parents, it didn't give them the right. Actually being able to come out of survival mode, when you were, for me, when I was in survival mode, I wasn't even thinking about what it was doing to my body, what it was doing to my health and wellness. Because I was just in like, girl, you just got to survive one more day. You just got to get one more paycheck. You just have to make this person happy. You just have to raise this kid. You just have to, and you feel like you can't breathe.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You, um, you, I love that you brought up the traditional therapy yeah. was such a big part of your story but not necessarily the key to your healing and Mm -hmm. you know i i don't consider myself a traditional talk therapist technically i am by my job description but in in yeah i i I guess i can really speak for both of us here yeah the type of therapy that i think both of us do is like you know what do you need yeah (laughs) you know and and meeting you where you are because the traditional approaches are not always the answer. Yeah. And when therapy doesn't work, maybe your therapist wasn't a good fit. Maybe right. the type of therapy wasn't a good fit. Maybe right. you do need mentors and life coaches mm-hmm. and alternative therapies because that's how you connect. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's what do you have to do to get the guidance and support that you need mm-hmm. to start yeah. healing for and, real. And
2: finding the fit yep. for you is, is great. For me, it really was someone who... Allowed me to confront it, and the best thing that I ever learned from her was I remember talking to her the first time, and she said, listen, we don't do shame here, we don't do guilt here, and we don't effing do judgment here, so you say what you gotta say, you say it how you wanna say it, and that's how we're gonna go. You don't watch your language, you don't put your hands in your lap, and you don't play pretty in front of me, because this is messy. And that permission to be messy, the permission to Mm -hmm. not be perfect, the permission to not have it all the F together. I mean, just, just to be in someone's presence who gives you the permission to be a disaster and to talk about your disaster.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Your therapist sounds like my kind of person. Yeah. So like, that's actually like, that's very similar to my style. And I'll probably speak for Danielle as well, because her and I are quite similar in our styles. Um, But yeah, there's something to be said about validating someone for feeling like shit. (laughs) Like, it's okay to not be okay. And it and and being realistic that this process is actually messy. It's not we don't we don't just rise to the top. We don't have a therapy session and feel like a million bucks. In fact, you might feel worse after your session. Mm -hmm. But that's okay. And constantly that validation that you are a human being and you're going through things. And it's not a matter of and I, I like to go into the past just to see patterns. I'm not trying yeah. to fix the past. I'm trying to see patterns and know, okay, this is what we can see in the present. How do we break this pattern today to move forward? Because my bigger concern is where you are today. We can't fix what happened back then.
0: I will say, though, and it sounds a little bit like the process that you went through, Heather, but the, like when I work with people who have um, long histories of trauma, I... Um, we'll do like prolonged exposure with them where we move through the timeline uh, facts only. And then we go back through and add in the emotions, go back through, how is it all connect? And all of that is important for, um, I, I do think some of the old stuff needs to be processed through, but mm-hmm. I always give people that option too, is like, do you want to open this can or do we want to just put it aside? Like, you don't remember it. You don't, you're not affected by it right now. We don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to go there, you know? But I think that, Um, And based on what they need, too. Yeah, I think that finding those connections for the pattern is great. Uh, But I think that just because you're past it, like you had said earlier, doesn't necessarily mean that you've processed through it. Well, and you
2: brought up a really great point, which I think is really important for listeners out there, is that I had no memories from about sixth grade and under. And I always thought, like, am I going to be able, I mean, I had court records, I could read what happened to me, I could read the trauma, I could read the abuse. But I always wondered, you know, well, do I have to remember it to heal from it? And I remember a mentor telling me one time, you know, you know how you feel about those years. You don't have to remember them. If you think about zero to 12, it's in your body. You literally feel it. And we can look at what's going on now and see that those feelings of self-worth have played into piss-poor jobs. They've played into piss-poor relationships. They've played into you staying places Mm -hmm. where you shouldn't have stayed. And it's like, yep. yep. So you don't, because I think it's more common than we... Recognize with trauma that if you do not remember your childhood or you have very few memories, that doesn't mean that you can't go to therapy. It doesn't mean that you can't heal. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't move past it because your body yeah. remembers how it felt during that time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, Heather, you uh you have been a treat. I probably could talk to Heather for like another 2 hours and yeah. just go through this, but yeah. um I just want to give you the opportunity to kind of um before we have to wrap this up sadly. What like where can we find you? What is your platform of social media? What do you do? And so on and so forth. Yeah, whatever so, so
2: the best place to find me is actually on Instagram. And my handle is at the soulful scientist. I actually left that bad career that I kept for so long, went back to school and actually became a trauma specialist for individuals so that I could do my part. And, and I, I really find a sense of peace in letting people know that they're not crazy you know the experiences are valid mm-hmm. yeah. um you know 2020 has rocked us all and so now here in 2021 um, you know I am hoping to you know, get back on those stages that I love so much, speak belly to belly with people. You know, back in 2020, my TED talk was canceled ah, due to due to COVID, like six days before we were to step on stage. So that is something that I'm looking forward to very much this year um, is potentially doing that. But I, like you guys, really want to normalize the human experience. It is messy. It's icky. It's ishy. <laughs> and the more that we get to talk about it without shame and guilt, the more that we can just say like, yeah, this sucked. And you don't have to feel like, well, I should be mm-hmm. grateful for the suck. You don't have to be grateful for the suck. Yeah. You don't have to be. You can just be like, this yeah. sucks. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Free. So that is what I'm all about. That is really my mission here on earth is just to normalize and empathize and love people and find you where you are and let you know you're not crazy, like wherever you're at. And, you know, we're all going through messy stuff because life is messy. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that it would be great if you could keep
0: us in the loop about this TED talk.
2: Yes. Yeah, because like my. <laughs> all,
0: of, all of us need to hear it no doubt and the little bit that you've been able to share with us is amazing yeah it's incredible um and we would love to if you're open to it possibly have you back in the future to talk some more about this stuff
1: you know it's really been it was such a pleasure to hear to hear your story and um I'm, I'm really thankful that you were uh, you know kind enough to join us and be willing to share that with our audience and um you know as Danielle and I Started this podcast, we really wanted to engage people in into breaking that stigma that mental health has to look a certain way, and that um, you need to be quote unquote crazy to go to therapy and all of that, and to really normalize the need for taking care of your mind and your well being. So um, you really brought that to light today, um, and really, I, I'm I feel very I feel very certain that you you will resonate with a lot of people with what with what you were saying today. So
0: I, I just have to say that I am so grateful for your mom and your dad mm-hmm. and your foster family and all of the messy stuff that has happened mm-hmm. because you're great. Yeah, you're great. And like, you really have done such an amazing job of like finding who you are and coming mm-hmm. out on the other side and being like the, uh you know, poster child for uh, being a victor. Yeah, and not a victim. I,
2: I greatly appreciate that. I'm going to add my beautiful circle of friends into that because they have just embraced me as family. And, you know, I hope that we can continue this conversation and continue to normalize this because the statistics out there, because people have such the stigma around mental health, Um, You know, if we can get in there and normalize it, then we can really use these things as a roadmap, you know, these statistics that people are, have against them that they don't even know. It's like, if we can get in there Mm -hmm. and we know that like a foster kid or, you know, we could talk about this forever, but you know, people with high ACE scores, like, you know, how much more statistics they have Mm -hmm. for, if we're able to love people enough without judgment and shame to show them their roadmap and show them a way out, then, you know, what a beautiful world we can create.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you you so much. Yeah. If you're listening right now and you're resonating with any of the things that Heather shared or that Christina and I shared, um stay tuned at the end of this episode. We always list the national suicide lifeline at the end. And visit our Instagram page at no underscore BS Therapy. In the highlights section, we have get help and it gives you a whole list of national hotlines Mm -hmm. for all types of abuse, neglect shelters if you're still not finding what you need feel free to give us a shout
1: and check out heather on instagram as well at the soulful scientist
0: yes thanks again heather thank you so much everybody else stay tuned we have more good stuff in the future If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or a desire to self-harm, please reach out to the National Suicide Lifeline at 800-273-8255 for 24-hour support.